mothers are caregivers. They are wired for caregiving. They work tirelessly to help and to bless and to keep those under their care. This beautiful aspect of their character is actually a reflection of the character of God, who is the ultimate caregiver, the ultimate keeper of his people. So on this day that we remember and we honor and we give thanks to our moms, I want to spend some time with you looking at the finest of caregiving passages in the Bible. And so this morning we're stepping out of our current series in the book of Genesis and we're stepping into the Psalms. So let's turn together to Psalm 121. Psalm 121 in the Bibles that we've provided on your chairs. You can find that on page 516. 516. And so we're, we're stepping out of the series in Genesis. We'll go back into it next Sunday, the 21st. We'll conclude that series the following Sunday, the 28th. We will have concluded Genesis chapters 1 through 11, which will bring to conclusion our sermon series called God the Creator and God the Redeemer. Uh, after that, the first Sunday in June, we're going to step into the New Testament and we'll be in the letter of 1 Thessalonians most of the summer. And so that's a, a little schedule, a, a mapping for you. Uh, our practice at the church here is to alternate between Old Testament and New Testament, preaching through books of the Bible so that we can see the sort of comprehensive plan of redemption that culminates in Jesus Christ. He's the center of the Bible. He's the interpretive key of all of it. And so we just go back and forth, back and forth, preach the old, preach the new, and see how Jesus and his saving plan is the center of it. So Psalm 121 on page 516 I uh, will have this projected as well. Let's read together a song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's a beautiful psalm. God is our keeper repeated over and over and over again in this psalm. Here's the framework of this psalm. First, we see our need for keeping. Our need for keeping. And then we see the Lord's tireless keeping. The Lord's tireless keeping. And then thirdly, we see the Lord's ultimate keeping. The Lord's ultimate keeping. So our need for keeping, the Lord's tireless keeping, and then the Lord's ultimate keeping. The big idea of this sermon is that the Lord is your ultimate keeper, and he will bring you safely to your heavenly home. The Lord is your ultimate keeper, and he will bring you safely to your heavenly home. You'll notice 
the first line in Psalm 121 says a song of ascents. There are 15 psalms in the, the Psalter, which is the book of Psalms, that are called songs of ascent. Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, 15 psalms. The psalms are songs that would have been sung by Israel. A song of ascent. And the idea here is it's a song that lifts you upward both physically and spiritually. And so it's thought that these songs of ascent were sung by Jewish pilgrims who would go three times a year to celebrate the three high holidays on their religious calendar, the Passover in spring, and then five weeks later, the Feast of Weeks at Pentecost. And then they would go again in the fall at the Feast of Ingathering, also called the Feast of Booths. Three times a year, they would make this pilgrimage, and they would go up to Jerusalem. And so when you read in the Bible, they went up to Jerusalem. It's not a northern directional. When they say go up to Jerusalem, it's an elevation. They are going up in elevation to the temple mount to worship the living God. And so yes, they're moving physically upward, but also they are seeking to lift their souls in worship to the living God. So it's a spiritual lifting as much as it's a physical lifting going upward. They're seeking to lift their souls to the living God. They are going to worship the Lord. As eager as these Jewish pilgrims were, it is not lost on them the peril of the pilgrimage. Many of them traveled hundreds of miles through tough terrain risking life and limb, bandits who would hide in rocky crags. There was peril on the pilgrimage, physically taxing. And those pilgrims knew they needed help. And this psalm speaks to that need. It's an admission of need and a looking to the one who will keep them, who will help them, who will journey them to their appointed end. Now today... We don't go to the Temple Mount to worship the Lord. How do we understand this psalm in its application for us? Brothers and sisters, we're on a journey. If you are a Christian, you are on a journey through the perils and the difficulties and the trials and the heartache of life. And the Lord is your keeper who is going to bring you to your appointed heavenly home. That's our payoff. That is the application here. And if you're not a Christian, the invitation is to get on that journey. You need that journey. You need that keeper. You need that Lord. Because your appointed end is not going to be with him if you're not trusting in him. It will be separation from him for all eternity. So this is an invitation to get on that journey. And once you're on the journey, to know that the Lord will keep you on it to its appointed end. Till you reach your heavenly home. Given that backdrop... Let's make our own journey through this beautiful psalm. First, our need for keeping. We see this in verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? Here the psalm is giving us a little window into the peril of the journey. I lift my eyes to the hills. Hills, mountains, these, this is imagery, foreboding imagery of the difficulty of the journey. 
because it was bandits that would hide along rocky crags in the hills, in the mountains. It was the hills and mountains that was the difficult terrain to trek, to, to walk, to hike. When the psalmist, when the pilgrim sees the hills, it's a fearful sight. So he lifts his eyes to the hills and notice the immediate question that follows. Where does my help come? In view of the intimidating mountains, what does the psalmist acknowledge? I need help in view of this difficulty. The psalmist knows his need. The pilgrimage is filled with peril. He needs a keeper. He needs a helper. The psalmist knows his need. And the psalmist knows who provides the help, doesn't he? He says, my help comes from the Lord. This word help is so important. Here's an exercise for you to do this week. You can do this online. How many times in the Psalms do you see the word help? Help. And then ask, who's the subject of the help? Who provides the help? It did it briefly, 28 times in the Psalms. The Lord is the subject of the help. The Lord is the help giver, the help provider. It will encourage your heart as you look to the Psalms and say, who is helping God's people along their journey? It is the Lord. He is their helper. He is our helper today. What truth in this passage does the psalmist point to for proof of God's power? What does he anchor his assurance of help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist points to creation as undeniable proof of God's power. We've just spent multiple weeks unpacking the beauty and the power of God's creation. God the creator and the redeemer. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. The psalmist appeals to God's creation where God's unparalleled power was displayed. He's encouraging his heart in his hour of need. God is my helper and I know he's helpful because he created the heavens and the earth. He has a limitless supply of power never to be plumbed fully to the depth. He is unparalleled in his power, unmatched. God is powerful and creation is the, the first scene of God's power displayed, isn't it? It's foundational to the Bible. God is creator. There's none like him. He has unparalleled power. My good friend Larry Brown, who was a, a member at Hope Fellowship Church, used to love to study God's creation. And he would engage in apologetics conversations where people were struggling with, like, how could Jesus resurrect from the dead? And what Larry would do is like, listen, just, just rewind. If God can speak creation into existence out of nothing, God speaks and it is, he can certainly raise the dead. He has unparalleled power. He speaks Genesis 1, let there be light, and there was light. There's none like him. And the psalmist on the perilous journey here is reminding himself, the Lord's my help. He made heaven and earth. That's his resume. That's it. He's sufficient in his power. 
He's the maker of heaven and earth. No power can hinder God's help. Do you believe that? No power can hinder God's help of you in your pilgrimage through life. It's this creation power that the psalmist reminds himself of in his hour of need. Oh, friend, remember God's power and use the scripture to jumpstart your memory when you're waffling in unbelief and you lack assurance of God's ability to do something in your life. Look to the scripture. The maker of heaven and earth is there. He's with you. He is powerful. The psalmist knows his need, admits his need. And I wonder, do we know our need in this journey that we call life? Do we know whom to call in our time of need? Where do you turn in your time of need? Who do you call out to? Is your knee-jerk reaction self-reliance? Look to yourself. Look to your own strength. Friend, that's a dead-end place. Our knee-jerk reaction must be the Lord Almighty because he holds all the power. Allow me to share with you a failure moment as a father. Last fall, we had a chance and opportunity to go to Disney World with my parents and my sister and her family. I've been looking forward to this. I remember in 1989, I got to go to Disney World with my, my folks. It was a big deal. We'd saved up for this. I've been trying to encourage Soren, my, my then five-year-old, he's six, year old, six years old now, to, to do some roller coasters with me. I love roller coasters. And so we went to Canopy Lake Park. You know, those are fairly mild, you know. But he enjoyed it. He did, he did some of the, like, the caterpillar runs, you know, pretty, pretty mild. And so we took him to Disney World, and we were off to a great start. We went to the Seven Dwarves Mine Train, which is a little bit more than the caterpillar at Canopy Lake Park, right? And he seemed to like that. And then as an ambitious father, I said, we're going to go do Space Mountain. And I remembered as a second grader, I went with my dad. It was such a meaningful thing. I went on Space Mountain. It stretched me, but I loved it. And I was like holding my dad's hand. But I, it was, a, it was a, like a powerful father-son moment. But I was two years older than Soren. So against my better judgment, I took him on Space Mountain. If you've never been on that, um, it's not it's not side-by-side -side seating. It's single file, like one behind the other. So Soren's there in the seat in front of me, kind of by himself. And Space Mountain is dark, and it dips, and it turns, and it twists. And I knew it was a bad idea the moment it got dark and the moment we went down. Because I hear my sweet five-year-old boy not crying out to his daddy. He says, God, help me. God, help me. I wanted to cry. This is funny, but I wanted to cry. It is a terrible moment as a father because I put him in a place that he was terrified. The silver lining in, in it was that I was proud that my, my son was going out to the Lord. <laughs> he knew where his help came from in his hour of need. And it wasn't his foolish dad. It was his Lord, God help me. That's the sense that we get in this psalm. God, help me, it's a desperation. It's a desperation. Do we know in our hour of need where our help comes from? Our help comes from the Lord. 
the prerequisite for receiving help from the Lord is acknowledging your need, admitting your need. You, you see, you can't receive help if you don't know that you need help. And so it's important that we see in this passage, the psalmist admits his need for help, for keeping, for deliverance. And so it is, friends, in salvation. We cannot be saved unless we acknowledge our need to be saved. We can't be delivered unless we acknowledge the, the predicament that we're in. The fact that we need deliverance. I have several times served at Hope Fellowship Church's Vacation Bible School. It's a wonderful opportunity to teach kids the gospel. And they teach kids the gospel by the ABCs. A, B, C. Admit to God that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. C, confess your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. What's A? A, number one, admit to God that you're a sinner. You got to admit you're in a predicament, that you're, you need something. And then B, believe in the one who is the Savior, Jesus, the Son of God. And C, confess your faith in him. It's the ABCs of salvation. The first step is to admit that you need salvation. The psalmist admits his need. All of us stand in need today, both physically and spiritually. God is a help giver. He's our faithful keeper who will be with us along this journey. And that's where he takes us next. So we see our need for keeping. Secondly, we see the Lord's tireless keeping in verses 3 and following. Let's look at these verses. The psalmist says, he will not let your foot be moved. Uh, to move here means to, to shake or to totter or to tremble. In other words, to, to trip and to, to fall. God will secure your footing throughout life is what the psalmist is saying. He will not let you fall. We see this throughout the pages of scripture. Psalm 55 verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. In other words, he will never permit the righteous, his people, to stumble and fall away. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, the Lord is a keeper. To him be power and majesty and dominion and authority for all time. It's him, his power, that keeps his people from stumbling. God's keeping power is all over the Bible. He will not let your foot be moved, verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Isn't it good news that God is the ultimate insomniac? He will not sleep on the job. He will not be up on that wall of your life dozing off while your enemies ransack you. He's up on the wall. And he's alert, awake, sober-minded at all times, keeping his people. His keeping is tireless. God is ever watchful. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Or do your circumstances, your sufferings, your difficulties suggest to you that God is asleep on the wall? That's the temptation when we face difficulty. God's not involved. God has abandoned me. God has allowed this. There's difficulty throughout this journey. We see it here in the psalm. But the Lord is not slumbering. The Lord is with his people in the valley. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the valley. Difficulty, heartache, and suffering in this life does not mean that God is asleep. 
The promise of the Bible is that he's there through it all with you. He never slumbers nor sleeps. He's with you. The Lord is your keeper, verse 5. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. He's the, the shield, the, the protective shade, the protective one on your right hand. The, the, the image here is of an ancient warrior who would stand on the right side of the one that he's called to care for and to protect the, the right side, the prominent side. That's where the warrior stood, protecting, keeping, defending. That's the Lord on our right side. The sun, verse 6, shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. God's keeping is tireless. It is constant through day and night. He keeps his people through the trials of day, the scorching sun that beats down on his people. He's there as a shade. He keeps his people through the trial of night, the fears that lurk in the darkness. The Lord is there keeping his people. He's at our side. Notice how many times in this passage you see keep or keeper. How many times? Five. Five times in a short eight verses, the word keep or keeper. Friends, just a Bible study tool. When you see repetition, it's the ancient author's way of underlining, underscoring, highlighting, bolding, emphasizing to you. What's important in this passage is the keeping power of the Lord. That's what's being emphasized. He's a keeper. And he will not let you go. He will keep, guard, protect, attend to you through it all to the very end. God's keeping power is the emphasis of this psalm. Our need for keeping. The Lord's tireless keeping. Thirdly and finally, the Lord's ultimate keeping. Let's look together at verses 7 and 8 again. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, a question for you that you're probably asking, if you've lived any life at all and know the difficulty and the suffering that comes, does this mean that the Lord's people will never experience physical harm, persecution, and even death or martyrdom? No. All of those things are reality for the Lord's people. What we see in this text is not the promise of physical keeping per se, though the Lord does that. We're not ultimately promised that. What we see here is the promise of soul keeping. Life in this passage is synonymous with the Hebrew concept of soul or self. God is promising to keep our souls to the very end, to their appointed destination. He will usher us to our eternal home, to our heavenly home. That's the promise here. You can face trial, persecution, dismemberment, sickness, any manner of physical ailments and difficulty that cannot pluck you out of the hand of the Lord. It cannot separate you from your Lord. No trial, no difficulty, no sword, no, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can man do to you? Psalm 118 verse 6, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus then picks this up, this theme, 
in Matthew chapter 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body. Whoa. Do not fear those who can harm the body, who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. What is Jesus saying here? He's speaking to his disciples who were in fear and trepidation of earthly powers and earthly kings who are threatening to persecute them. And And Jesus says, look, you don't need to fear people who can harm your body. Though they may take your life, they cannot take your soul from me. Rather, fear me, the one who has the ability to kill and to cast into hell. Be right with God, in other words. Have a healthy fear, a healthy reverence of God who holds our destinies in his hands. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet the Lord knows each one of those sparrows Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Jesus is encouraging his fearful disciples with his power. I'm watching over all things. The sparrows, you're way more valuable than the sparrows. Trust me. Revere me. Look to me. Don't fear those who might harm the body. They cannot snatch you, your soul, from my hand. How are souls rescued and kept until we arrive at our heavenly home? What's the power? What's the mechanism of our soul keeping? The mechanism of our soul keeping is through our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Jesus talks about his keeping power of his people in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Our souls are kept, secured, rescued from sin because Jesus, the shepherd, laid his life down on a cross. That's how our souls can be secure in this life, through sin, through setback, through suffering, is that Jesus laid his life down for us and welcomes us to trust in him and become his sheep. And that's the invitation of of, of the scripture is to trust in Christ as the good shepherd. If you've never done that, today is the day to do that, to look to Christ who is a good shepherd who laid down his life for you so that you could become his sheep by faith. That's what he did at the cross. He conquered the grave through his resurrection and he offers himself as a good shepherd to anybody who would believe. Would you believe in Christ today? He's your good shepherd. He is the means of securing us through sin and through the journey thereafter. Though we aren't headed to the temple, we nonetheless are on a pilgrimage. And on this pilgrimage, it is God who keeps us to the very end, to our heavenly home. I want to share with you the words of a hymn, This World is Not My Home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. O Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. My Savior pardoned me, and now onward I go. 
I know he'll take me through, though I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Friend, it shouldn't be strange to you that at times you feel as a Christian that you are not at home, that it's difficult, that it's awkward and uncomfortable. This world is not your home. Don't seek to make it your home. There's a better home, an eternal home that will make this one pale in comparison. Look to that one. Look to that one and trust in the Lord who's keeping you there. I know he'll take me through, though I am weak and poor. The Lord is your ultimate keeper and he will take you safely to your heavenly home. Amen. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are an ultimate keeper. Lord, we all stand in need of keeping. Help us to admit our need. Shake us up out of our self-reliance, out of our spiritual stupor, thinking that we are stronger than we actually are. Help us, Lord, to acknowledge our need of a deliverer, of a savior, of a keeper. Thank you that you promised to do all of it if we would just trust in you. Help us to walk with you through this pilgrimage. Help us to long for that day when we enter those pearly gates with you, worshiping you for all eternity, with one another, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. We long for that day. Keep us until that day. In Jesus' name, amen.